This is Brain Diet, episode 158, Getting a Rare Disease and Changing the World, with Sumaira Ahmed. I love so much focusing on the food we feed our body, but I love even more focusing on the stuff we feed our brain. My name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a certified life coach. Welcome to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain the best information. What's up, everybody? How's it going? How was your day today? Mine has been fantastic. I am just really excited to share this conversation with you. I got to sit down and spend some time chatting with Sumaira Ahmed, who goes by Sumaira, which you know, if you go by just a singular name, like you're immediately an icon, right? So I got to sit down with her and hear her story. So Sumaira has the same autoimmune condition that I do, NMOSD, and she shared with me her story of getting this diagnosis and Pretty soon after her initial episode with the condition, she started a foundation in the name of building awareness, fundraising, creating a community for those in the same position as she was at the time. And since then has grown this foundation. She at the same time was Miss Bangladesh USA when she was very unwell and sick and going through all of this was still managing to show up in the world in this way. And her story is just so powerful and inspirational. And what I loved about her is that we were discussing very morbid things. And yet she had such a strong spirit about it. She was so lighthearted and sweet and empowered. And I just felt so lucky to get to chat with her and to hear her diagnosis story as well as where hear about how her health is now the things she does to help herself i think for anyone with an autoimmune condition especially those with a rare autoimmune condition this episode is going to be a must listen so i again feel like I'm probably a broken record in saying I'm thrilled to share this with you, but I really am thrilled to share this conversation with you. So with that, please enjoy this conversation between myself and Sumaira. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I am just thrilled to be sitting here at the precipice of this conversation because this is a woman who is changing the world. So let's give you the stage to tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Let's start there. Okay. So uh, my name is Samira and I'm 33 years old. I currently live in Boston, Massachusetts, where I have lived this year. It will be 16 years. But before here, I was born and raised in New Jersey and as you get to know me, you'll know that you can take the girl out of Jersey, but you can't take the Jersey out of the girl. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, But originally, originally, my parents immigrated to the US about 40 years ago from a small country in Southeast Asia called Bangladesh. So my ethnicity is that I am Bangladeshi and part Burmese. And that it leads to so many different segues of things I want to discuss. So I want to make sure we cover all of our bases. You and I have the same autoimmune condition. 
So we both have NMOSD and I want to know your story because I think it sounds like there is there are some parallels between mine and yours, but I, I want to hear it from your mouth and, and your own experience, not to mention like our age is, is similar too with all of it. So what has your like, tell us the story of your journey with NMOSD. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to rewind nine years back to 2014. I was 24 years old. It was the start of summer, getting ready for my 25th birthday. And all of a sudden I lost vision in my right eye, like pretty suddenly and severely. And did you you just wake up and couldn't see, or was it like you were just walking around and all of a sudden? Well, it's interesting because It was like one day I woke up and I saw this black spot in my right eye and it was so small, noticeable, but small. And I was like, oh, that's weird. What is it? And I was, you know, I knew nothing about nothing at that time. So I'm thinking, okay, summer just started. The sun might be too bright. Maybe I was looking at it, you know, without my sunglasses. I really didn't pay too much attention to it that first day, but I noticed it. And then day two, that spot got bigger and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's not going away and it's getting worse. So I went to my office, which at the time I worked in ophthalmology, thank goodness. And what a coincidence, I know. And, you know, I, and at that point, you know, this black spot had amassed a a huge part of my right eye. But did you have any accompanying pain? No, um, the only thing I can remember in hindsight, because it was almost 10 years ago now at this point, but the only thing I can remember is that two things that are worth noting. Three weeks before I had my first episode, which is what I'm describing now, I had a horrible and for the first time an ophthalmic migraine. And also before that, around that time, I had oral surgery. So I had all my wisdom teeth taken out that were impacted. And then I had an infection. And it was after that infection that I lost my vision. So anyway, I went to the ophthalmologist who I worked with and I was like, guys, uh, I can't see. And they're like, oh, typical Samira being a drama queen. (laughs) (laughs) You're like... (laughs) No, no, no. This, this, this is not that. This is I can't see out of my right eye. I'm having trouble even looking at my phone. And so, you know, we did all kinds of tests, and they're like, "Oh, wow, she really can't see in her right." <laughs> and so, you know, they're like, "Okay, let's check it tomorrow. You know, let's give it a rest. We'll check it tomorrow and see what happens then." So we checked it the next day, and it got even worse. So then they did a full eye exam, like. A to Z and they checked my retinas, my corneas, you know, this and that. And structurally they could not find anything wrong with my eye. And that's when they said like, you know, Samaya, we think you need an MRI. And I was like, an MRI? You know, I never had an MRI before at 24 years old. That sounded like a very big deal. So it was 4th of July weekend, 2014. I was so naive. I, you know, went to the hospital with my weekend bag. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be in and out for this MRI. And then I'm heading out to a barbecue for the weekend. (laughs) And that obviously did not happen. Um, I ended up being in the ED from 9 a.m. 4th of July until 1 a.m. the next day, evaluated by so many different specialists. Everyone's sort of scratching their heads like, why is this otherwise healthy young woman rapidly losing vision? It makes no sense. So I finally had my MRI. And when I came out of the MRI, the uh, neurologists in the emergency room were like, so 
the reason you're losing vision is because you have inflammation in the optic nerves and the chiasm in your brain. And my initial reaction was like, you must have the wrong chart. Yeah. Because at 24 years old, you cannot wrap your head around something being wrong with your brain. You know, that's just, it was incomprehensible to me. So long story short, I got admitted into adult neurology. I got three days of IV steroids. When I was discharged, I was told that I had an idiopathic case of optic neuritis, 16% chance of developing MS at some point in my life. They're like, you're severely vitamin D deficient, so definitely take some vitamin D supplements. But other than that, your vision should come back within three months to a year. We're not too worried about it. Move on with your life. Enjoy your 25th birthday. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I will. <laughs> and so I, you know, tried to move on with my life. I did indeed celebrate my 25th birthday very, um, in a, in a very strong way. <laughs> and, um, a week later is when my symptoms really got so much worse. So, um, I, you know, the visual, the vision that I lost did not come back. And in fact, it got worse and it spread to my left eye. And I had my acuity started to get affected. So I was 2020 in both eyes. And then overnight, literally overnight, I went from being 2020 in both eyes to 2600 in my right eye and 2120 in my left eye, which was I could not even see the eye chart. I couldn't identify any letters. I couldn't really walk. I was very disoriented. And then to add to that, half of my body felt like it was on fire. And so this is when I knew like, okay, mm, I think there's something else going on here. I was rushed to the hospital after I collapsed and I got lumbar punctures, four hours of imaging, 20 vials of blood. Next thing you know, I'm hooked up to a pole once again in the uh, adult neurology. All my family came to visit me. And then the doctor came in and was like, we think you have neuromyelitis optica. And my first question was, am I going to die? Yeah. And this, I mean, it's really interesting because especially this was 2014, you said, because it's like so much has happened since then. And this was just in the emergency department and the doctor well, there was able to, or I guess you, you were, you were at a, at a different I, clinic. Yeah. It wasn't just, okay. Okay. There was a lot happening. To answer your question. I mean, it, it was a very different time for NMO, you know, 2014 yeah. NMO was like no man's land. You know, right. there was no therapies available, FDA approved. Uh, you know, the mortality rate was kind of high. Yeah. We didn't really understand as much about this disease advocacy. I don't think really existed. Otherwise I wouldn't have started the foundation. Yeah. And um, no, it was very scary. Everything you saw on the internet said that you were going to die within five years. And uh I do think that I'm very lucky though. I was diagnosed within six weeks of my first symptoms. And, you know, to your point, like they knew kind of right away to even look for it. Yeah. And I think it's a testament to the fact that I was at Harvard Medical, where Mass General, one of the top hospitals arguably in the world. Yeah. And I I want to know what was their conclusion what led to their conclusion of this diagnosis? Because you tested zero negative, right? And I still do, baby girl. So do I. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So where do you, did you ever get the MOG antibody test? I have had that done twice. Yeah. Negative. Me too. Negative. So you, okay. You know what they call us? Is there a name double, for us? Double seronegative patients. Oh, I thought it was going to be a cooler, more like beautiful I mean, name, you I know, think like really cool people. 
you know, um, Taylor, there are a lot of, it's, it's a shocking percentage of patients who are like you and I, and we test negative for both antibodies. So uh, coming back to that question then is what was their concluding factor? Yeah. So they were basically, they were like, listen, you don't test positive for the antibody, but 30% of patients don't test positive for the antibody. However, you know, based on imaging, you know, and, and your symptoms and just the way things are sort of presenting, this looks more like NMO than anything else. Now, that being said, you know, because I was so young, because I became very ill, they wanted to do their due diligence. So after that, I mean, I was checked for everything, you know, Lyme and cancer and uh, sclero, uh, what's it called? Vasculitis and, mm-hmm. you know, all, lupus, all of the different autoimmune diseases out there. I was poked and prodded like every day to see maybe this is this, maybe this is that. But yeah, um, ultimately we have stuck with this zero negative uh, neuromyelitis optica diagnosis over the last nine years. I just, I'm sitting here. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I, this is just really fun. I mean, not as fun as it can be to hear all of this. Just because, like I said, of all of these parallels, right? I was 25 when I was diagnosed and had a very similar initial experience and a quick diagnosis. And again, spent the next year just hours and hours in that MRI machine and more needles than I care to ever see again and testing for everything. And, you know, we're four and a half years into it. And we still are just like, yeah, I mean, this is just what we're moving forward with. And um, so it's really interesting because I, I feel like the NMO community is, is so small as it is. And so to hear such a similar story is a, a wonderful thing to hear. I think so too. I yeah. feel like a special bond to you. I know. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> let's come back to, you get this diagnosis, you ask yeah. the doctor who gives you this news am i did you vocalize am i gonna die oh yeah yeah yeah. oh okay so how did that conversation uh, go yeah so it was a not a funny story but i just like to tell it so (laughs) i've always been a little bit of like a social butterfly i love throwing parties and being out and about especially before nmo not so much anymore but um i had like 20 people in my hospital room uh because i you know didn't want to be alone. I wanted to be with friends. I was like, this is scary. Like, can all the homies come through and hang out? And so my room was packed when these this entourage of doctors came in. And they were like, um, can, you know, uh, we need to talk to you. Do you mind if we have, you know, alone time? And I was like, unless it's an STD, there's nothing you can't say in front of my friends, you know, that you can say to me alone. And so they laughed too. They're like, okay, it's definitely not an STD. So I was like, okay. And um, now, and I was, you know, I was just trying to make light of the situation, but uh, yeah, that's when they dropped the bomb. They're like, you know, we think you have this. And I, I was like, am I going to die from this? And they said they didn't know. You know, nowadays, if you get diagnosed and you ask, like, the doctors will tell you, no, you can live a, you can live a pretty good life with this if you get on the right treatment and da 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 But at that yeah. time, it was, like I said, it was a different story. And so I stayed in the hospital for, like, nine days. I got IV steroids. I started rituximab. And when I was discharged, I was given, like, a laundry list of medications I had to take, my infusion schedule, and 
I remember getting this like black and white cartoon type of things, a thing of foods to avoid when you're on steroids so you don't gain weight, which helpful. But I was like, okay, but like, uh, do you guys have support groups? Like, you know, I just got diagnosed with a rare disease. I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do? <laughs> None of my friends have a rare disease. Like, well, I don't know what to do. And um, yeah, that I wasn't really sent home with anything except like very medical stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to their defense, they, they didn't really have anything to offer to me at the sure. time. Sure. So I, I came home my world obviously turned upside down. Like when I left my apartment before that hospital visit, I was a different person. And then I came home, I was in bed rest and I'm just like thinking, thinking, thinking like, why the F did this happen to me? Like how, you know, you, you go through phases. I think initially I was really angry, really angry at the world, at myself. I'm like, okay, autoimmune, I must've done something to myself. And then and then I went through this like self-pity phase, which didn't last very long. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna spend, if it's true that I'm only gonna live five more years, then I'm gonna make the most out of these five years that I have. And I need to do something about this. Even if it's only helps one other person, that's fine. And also it's gonna help me. And that's when I Googled, how do you start a foundation? Wow. <laughs> I, I love that that was your first, I mean, I know there was a, a, a lot going on in your mind, I'm sure at the time, but, but the maturity level has to be high at that age to think that starting a foundation is even an option, right? I'm like, how do I start making my bed today? Let alone like, how do I start a foundation? Oh, I think a lot of it came out of fear, you know, in, in, on, in all honesty and hindsight it came out of fear for my own life i felt mm. like i was in total survivor's mode and like i had this flight or fight moment where i'm like i have to do something i'm not going to die from this or have other people die from this just because nobody knows about it and you know i i had a background in public relations i worked in the entertainment industry for a long time so like visibility and raising awareness and telling people stories and this and that i mean i've been doing that since i was a kid so it was ironic to me that like i got something that needed to who okay how do i say this in english I got a disease and that story of that disease had not yet been told on a mainstream level. Yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, maybe I got to tell this story. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about a diagnosis like this. I've just known in my life, especially in my business as well, where you start to see, you would never like wish it upon yourself, but you start to see threads where you're like, you know what, maybe this is going to serve a greater purpose. And it's so hard. And I, hate it sometimes, but there is always that opportunity to, to use it for a greater purpose. I think it just speaks again to your capability as, as a person and your strength of character to, to want to use that for good, because I think it, it could be otherwise so mentally and emotionally debilitating that it, it can kind of go one of either direction, right? Of like, okay, I'm going to do something about this, or this is just, I'm going to resign to this. No, I, I, and by the way, I had many of those days where I was like, I'm right, just, right. you know, <laughs> I give I? up, I give up, right? And I have explored um, pathways that I, I'd be so embarrassed to talk about publicly, but you know, I'm human and I was right. human. I'm, yeah. I was young and I, 
shit, I'm still young, you know, oh, right. like yeah. I'm that old. I'm 33. <laughs> like, I hope I have my whole life ahead of me now. But yeah, at 25, you get afflicted with a rare disease and you have to make so many sacrifices in your life. It's, it is hard. It's, it's, it, it, it's like a death because you're grieving your past life, which you will truly never get back. Yeah. Ever. And, and the life you thought you would have, right. It's like, you, exactly. have, you have this whole thing ahead of you that you have to take space to grieve because it's going so differently than you ever would have anticipated. Absolutely. For sure. And I will say, you know, the, the, the statement is true then as it is now that this foundation saved my life because, um, you know, as you know, everything changes after you get sick, you know, uh, obviously physically inside and outside. I look, I started to look very different, you know, because of prednisone and chemotherapy and this and that I'm losing hair. Like, you know, I started to look different. I didn't feel good. I couldn't see my mental health was just in the gutter. You know, I'm going through IVF because they told me I'm going to be sterile from one of the medications. Like it was just a bloody mess. And the only, th and I had to stop dancing. Dance was like my religion. I definitely said goodbye to my acting dreams. That was not happening anymore. And the only thing that stayed constant was my ability to still use my brain and like think and strategize and build and innovate and things that I really like to do. And so being able to put that somewhere in addition to my job at the time saved me because it, it it was an example of, hey, I can still do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very important, very critical to me at that time. Well, and I think that is such an important message to anybody experiencing a rare disease, whether it's this or otherwise, that you have to find that for yourself because there are going to be things that are taken and you want to take the space to grieve, mm -hmm. but to be able to search and find the things that you still can do and have control over. And it is majority in our brain and how we're thinking and, and what we're contributing to the world. And it's a vital practice to have to constantly be searching of what can I still do? What can I still um, contribute that is enjoyable? And how can I still be myself in this way, in this new way rather? And so what you did was obviously so impactful on a global level because you created this foundation. Let's talk a little bit more about it. So it was born shortly after diagnosis and it was founded in the name of raising awareness and creating community around this condition, right? And so how has it grown and evolved over the last, you know, nine, nine years? years? Yeah. yeah. Um, I love to tell the timeline because I don't appreciate myself enough. And so if I say it out loud, I'm like, oh, okay, I did do something good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the same way. I think women suffer from imposter syndrome, no matter how successful they are. I, in my mind, like how I see myself is com just completely different how other people see me. So I, this is actually a little bit of a journey that I'm, you know, and something I'm working on and healing. So the timeline helps to share. Um, I, my first symptom 4th of July, 2014, August, 2014, I was diagnosed September, 2014. I called up Boston magazine. I was like, yo, I need you guys to help me announce this. We published an article announcing that I would be um, starting a foundation. October, we became recognized by the IRS. 
November, we had our first website. December, we launched our first program called Voices of NMO, which is still in existence, the longest standing, oldest program of ours, where we tell stories from all over the world, from all different perspectives. And yes, over the last nine years, we have grown a lot, you know, to be where we are today, to be doing the things we're doing, to be in conversation with the people that I'm having conversations with. These are things that I couldn't have even conjured up in my wildest of dreams. So we are now global, which is incredible, just a dream come true. Mm -hmm. And um, we're dedicated to raising global awareness of both NMOSD and MOGAD. We fundraise to support research, uh, very passionate about building communities of support for patients and their caregivers. I think mm -hmm. it's very important to have a solid support system when you go through this, you know, a bonus family by way of your disease and then of course advocating for patients too you know on a policy level for things to really change on a much broader level for patients in general and i think what's really special about tsf outside of it being very colorful and happy and this and that is that uh we're truly patient-led and patient-powered i have the disease i know what it's like to live with this disease and we now have 50 global patient ambassadors from across the world who are also doing what i'm doing on a different level where they are in the world so uh it's really cool, I think, to see what we've done over the last nine years. I like, can't believe it. Yeah. And just to see how you almost single-handedly have really changed the face of what NMO is. I mean, even since I was diagnosed in 2019, just how much the things have changed. It's pretty remarkable. That's so nice. I wish I could see and hear what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew what you were talking about, but that's very nice. <laughs> Let's talk about your health now, because I think it's always interesting to just see the path. And especially with autoimmune conditions, something that I didn't necessarily realize is you can have these episodes, you can have these symptoms. Sometimes they can get better. Sometimes they can resolve. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you have subsequent episodes. Like there are just so many nuances to conditions like this. And so for someone that was experiencing severe vision loss nine years ago, what is your health like now? Great question. Uh, all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> NMO can be uh, an invisible illness for some folks. I would say I'm part of that. You know, most people who meet me would never even know that something was quote unquote wrong with me. But uh, yeah, it's it's a mess all the time. But it's a more stable mess now, I guess. So I, I should note that the first four years were really difficult for me. Um, the first 18 months, really, we were on a quest for a diagnosis, a proper one. If it wasn't NMO, I relapsed three times on rituximab. I had about four relapses my first year. I, uh, yeah, I was put on some heavy duty medication, chemotherapy, it was experimental, and I had all kinds of problems from that. And then I went through menopause at 26 years old because of the chemotherapy, I became sterile. I mean, just, it was horrible and I wasn't getting my vision back and it just every, every other month or every six weeks i was in the hospital then i started experiencing these incontinence issues which you know i mean in your mid-20s as a female you're like 
WTF? Like, really? This is as so if, wrong. <laughs> as if things yeah. couldn't get worse. Now you're yeah. going to do this to me? Okay, cool. That's not cool. And yeah, so the first four years were very, very difficult. I failed almost every therapy that I was on. I was on IVIG. I was on uh, rituximab. I was on Celsept. I was on tocilizumab. Failed and failed and failed. And then 2018 was a turning point for me because I started sorry, 2017, 18, I started Soliris, which is, uh, it was the first FDA approved therapy for NMO. I got on it before FDA approval and I was doing my absolute best on Soliris. I mean, it was almost like I didn't have NMO, except mm -hmm. I remembered I had NMO every two weeks when I had to go in for an infusion. infusion. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, ultimately after a year, I was like, I need a break. I really need a break from infusions. This is a lot. And I um, got off of therapy and the first relapse of my life. This was in the fall of 2018. I did not think I was going to leave that hospital alive. I was there for about two weeks, had plasma, this and that, you know, it was just a mess. And then after that, I got put on an off-label oral medication, which I am still on. So it's called Zeljans. It's um, it's for moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis, and I have been stable for the most part. Um, I guess I'm in remission, but what most people don't understand is that remission does not mean you are completely without issue. Remission just means you're not going to the hospital and staying there for your issues. Right, right. So you know, true. I, so I still true. have to deal with things almost on a daily basis. I still have to take medications and I still have pseudo flares, which are mm. just terrifying. So I am stable, but not without issues. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful description of how it is because oftentimes when people will ask me about it, they just want happy answers, right? That it's like, oh yeah, everything is is great. I am great. It, I'm cured. It's all done. It's over, yeah. right? And yeah. it's just not the way that it goes. And, and people are so well-intentioned and I don't mean to diminish that, but I think it's just oftentimes it is really just getting to a place of stability and and learning to manage and make peace with the instability that underlies it, you know? Absolutely. I want to ask you, this is definitely switching gears, but I, I just know within the timeline, this fits in that you um, were Miss Bangladesh USA. Is this correct? And was this in 2015? Yeah. Okay. So and how did this all fit into <laughs> all of this as you're um, going through all this mess? Yeah. Good question. So, um, this happened by chance and I was not looking for it. It just kind of fell into my lap. I got an email one day and this is while I was going through a therapy called Cytoxin. It's a really heavy chemo drug. I had just finished my IVF. I just started this new medication. I'm still on prednisone. So my face was huge. I still couldn't really see out of my right eye. And now I'm losing hair and like just totally malnourished and on the quest for a diagnosis. All this to say that like on the outside, I definitely did not look or feel beautiful at all. One day during that time, I got an email saying that I was nominated for this 
national uh, pageant called Miss Bangladesh USA. And I was like, I never heard of this. <laughs> and I'm like, is this a scam? And it turns out a bunch of people nominated me. I think maybe they felt bad of what I was going through. I don't know. But I was like, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, there were some next steps to go through with this nomination if you wanted to proceed. So I was sitting there and I'm like, you know, what have I got to lose? I'm going to be dead in four years. Anyway. Right? <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> I mean, let's see, right. I don't know. And so I was like, okay, I just try it. And I did. And I won. And it's just ironic to me that I won when I was like balding and just so, so, so sick. I look at those pictures of when I won and I was like, oh my God, I was just so unwell. But I think it's a really nice story that I won something that is uh, traditionally meant to be, you know, you're so beautiful and this and that on the right, outside. Right, right. But actually I was, I felt hideous. I was broken. I was sick, but I still won. Man, I think that that is the story that should be told at every pageant <laughs> from here on out forever, because it really is, is kind of what people look to as the epitome of, of beauty and and confidence, if you will. And the fact that, again, you were just willing to show up in your life when it literally was probably the hardest and represent yourself and your heritage and your platform in such a large way. Like, it's just so inspirational. It's the coolest thing. Thank you. That's so nice. Yeah. It's it's interesting. The things you'll do when your, you know, tomorrow is surely not promised for you. When your mortality is threatened. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, I tell people all the time now, I am not afraid of dying young or living a short life. I'm afraid of living miserably in a long life. Like, I'd rather it be short and wonderful. So even when I was going through the worst of times, I always tried to remember that, like, your time is ticking, like more than most people. So how do you make your days easier? And you know this, those those beginning days were really horrible. I think the first year is the toughest for everybody. I wasn't even living on a day-to-day basis. I felt like I was surviving mm-hmm. hours, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally, physically, like viscerally. I was just... I needed anything and everything to help me get through the hours. And this pageant helped, the foundation helped, and of course, you know, the love and support that I had from my friends and family. In addition to the medical therapies that you are currently on, what do you do day to day to care for your health and manage your condition as best you can? Not enough. Um, and truly, I wish I had, I wish I prioritized it more. And that's like one of my 2023 goals and I'm working on it, um, without lying about things that I don't actually do. Uh, I make sure to sleep a lot. I think that's very important for me. Um, my brain is always going, 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 even when I'm sleeping. It's just going a little bit slower when I'm sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I really prioritize my sleep and I sleep a lot. And if I need to take a nap, I take a nap. 
Um, I drink a ton of water. I also, yeah, like I don't drink soda. I don't drink juices. I really rarely drink alcohol and not for any other reason, except I don't really like the way it makes me feel. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I really stick to water and I think that helps a lot. I love hot yoga. Mm -hmm. it, it, that I think is like the most efficacious of medicines I've ever had. Yeah, it can be tough. That. It can be tough with, you know, like Uthoff's phenomenon. It can be tough with some thermoregulation issues that we mm -hmm. have. Yep. But the benefits outweigh the bad stuff so much that I, I mean, I, I love it. Um, so I definitely do that. And then, you know, like twice or three times a week, I just go on the treadmill and I walk. Mm -hmm. I can't run anymore. I can't do high intensity things, but the walking and just like meditating while I'm walking and listening to music, it really helps me. I love that answer so much because, and I love how you preceded it with honesty, right? <laughs> I need to be honest here. Um, because I think that just generally speaking, people assume that health is perfection and precision and extreme and intense, right? And it really isn't. It doesn't have to be. And especially with autoimmune conditions and maintaining a general state of health, but also learning to manage symptoms and a condition itself, those are always my first line of defense with my own condition and what I work with with my clients is it's like, we want to make sure that you are sleeping, that you are hydrating and that you are walking and people underestimate the power of those behaviors because it doesn't have to be hours of exercise. It doesn't have to be very specific foods. It doesn't have to not necessarily, you know, it's like, there are just those little subtle things that as soon as you know how to utilize in your favor and just how to take care of yourself in those simple ways, it makes such a substantial difference. I agree. Yeah, obviously it's great. And, you know, I don't know if this falls into the health category, but like I make sure to make time to watch some trash TV because it kind of like gives me the opportunity to like rest my brain, which I think is important for our health. Um, so like I, I, I make sure to watch housewives three times a week. I'm pretty sure we're soul sisters here because it sounds like my brain is a mirror image of yours where it just, even when I'm sleeping, doesn't slow down. Yeah, and that is one of my like decompression activities is just the mindless, you know, what some would refer to as just like smut where I'm like, Hey, you know what? It adds a lot of value to my life. I so. Oh, I can't tell you how much, uh, how much heat I get for openly saying I love housewives. And I'm oh, like, it's great. It's a, what, what's wrong with it? It's like people <laughs> watching. Everybody people watches, right? Oh my gosh. Okay. That's brilliant. Let's end with a final simple upbeat question, uh, or it's a two-part question, if you will, but, um, a simple pleasure and a pet peeve of yours. Okay. A simple pleasure. In addition to housewives? In addition to housewives. I'm addicted to soda water. Okay. I love it. Simple <laughs> pleasure in soda water. Probably. Yeah. I, I, if I could be drinking this all the time, I would, but that's I try jam. to. Yeah. I love, I love soda water. And that's a new thing. I used to hate anything bubbly until I was like 31. And then somewhere during COVID, I like had it and I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. And 
now I'm hooked. I have to have at least two cans a day, but it's water, right? So it's yeah. okay. Oh, for sure. I feel like that's also part of just like becoming an adult is liking things that like you've never liked before. And you're like, I just wake up like this one day. I start growing up. Pizza. That's another yeah. one. I, I didn't like pizza till I was in my 30s. See, but that's backwards because I feel like yeah. usually <laughs> kids are the ones that like pizza, but I know that's funny. Um, okay. And then pet peeve. I'm very, very punctual. So I really don't like people who are late and tardy. And I'm saying that realizing that I was eight minutes late to this podcast. <laughs> so I'm a total hypocrite. <laughs> wow. Cancel me now. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, that is perfect. And I, I have just loved getting to know you in this way. And thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and inspiring me and I know many of the listeners. Where can people find you? Instagram. I definitely am probably the most active on Instagram. I'm Samira Flower. LinkedIn. Actually, LinkedIn is my favorite. Is it really? I mean, yeah, I like it. I'm a little bit of a nerd, a closet nerd and yeah. seeing what everyone's up to and where people are. I'm also nosy. So I like to see what everyone's <laughs> up to in their professional lives. What company did they move to? And where did they go to school? Yada, yada. So LinkedIn for sure. Um, I am on Twitter. The only reason I really use Twitter is for housewife stuff. So don't follow me on there so if funny. you're looking for NMO. And then I guess Facebook. So all of them. <laughs> okay. Well, for anyone that wants to find Sumaira, I will have all of your links in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. No, the pleasure was really mine. Are you ready to lose weight, but you don't know where to start? I have something for free that can help. Here at Brain Diet, I offer a free set your custom macros call. On this call, I'll want to know what your goals are and set you on the nutritional path to achieving them. This is a private call with me where I get all the information about you and your body so I can deliver a custom calorie and macronutrient count that when implemented will lead to weight loss in a kind and nourishing way. And if you're ready to hire a coach to walk you through every step of your weight loss journey, I'll tell you everything you need to know about that too. So if it's your time to start losing weight in a sustainable, healthy, and nourishing way, sign up for this free set your custom macro call at the link in the show notes. I'll see you soon. Thank you.